Welcome to Sustainability Scores, the podcast for research analysts who wants to unlock insight from corporate sustainability data. I'm your host, Vikram Shetty. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Ludovic, to talk about making sense of ESG. Ludovic, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It is a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, for folks who are meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Of course, of course. So my name is uh, Ludovic. I currently work for uh, Ravenpack, which is a news analytics company. And uh, prior to that, I was working on the buy side for uh, different asset managers. And I was I have always been working on uh, ESG-related questions and uh, integrating sustainability into uh, investment strategies, that, that sort of things. Great. So my first question to you aligns with that. So when did you start noticing the lack of correlation between the ESG rating? All right. Well, I, I noticed this lack of correlation almost immediately when I started working with this class of data sets. And that was around 2018. Because one of the challenges that that uh, that was always there in this sustainability space was to, and is still the case, is to achieve a global coverage in terms of the, the data that you use. And it's not something that can realistically be achieved with a single uh, provider. That was the case when I started working on, on this. And this is still largely the, the case today. So you have data from different sources and they allegedly measure the same things. So there is a high temptation to combine these data sets to, to increase the coverage. And uh, when, when you compare the numbers that you have for the same companies, but from different providers, you find that there are significant uh, disagreements between the data sources. And you find that these disagreements are not for small companies where the disclosures can be very low, but they can also be for pretty large companies uh, as well. So it promotes uh, it promotes an idea that this is a quite messy space, but I think it is just a feature of how this uh, space works. But um, going back to the question, yes, I noticed this almost immediately when I started working on, on this, and that was uh, about four to five years ago. Right. So why aggregating third-party ESG scores are not so useful? Well, indeed, I, I believe that the aggregated ratings are not uh, extremely useful because one thing that we need to keep in mind is that behind these ratings, you have uh, models that generate this data. It doesn't come from uh, it doesn't come from from nothing. And these models, they measure different things or they may measure things in a, in a different way or in, in different ways. So I, I do not believe that these ratings are very useful because these aggregated things, they suffer from a lack of comparability and uh, a general lack of uh, transparency as well. So in, in itself, it is not good or bad. It's just a feature of how this industry works or how the industry is organized around uh, around ratings. But w w one thing we need to keep in mind is why, why are we doing this? Why do we want to uh, score companies? And the purpose of, of doing this is to present, um, if you want, a systematic, um, a systematic and synthetic view of, uh, of what companies are doing by projecting the data on some kind of scale. And doing this requires a lot of assumptions. It sounds quite simple, but uh, providers might do this in very, very different ways, or they can look at different data sources that will proxy the same things. And that's, this will mechanically lead to uh, different, result, uh, different uh, results, if, if you see what I mean. Because you can look at, uh, at a data source, you can compare things uh, on a global scale, or you can compare this, uh, you can do something that is country neutral, or you can do something that is sector neutral. And all of this will give you different uh, numbers. And all of these things 
are not good or bad. It's just the conclusion that you come to by looking at the data the way you look at the data. So th there is nothing surprising there. It's just a, a reflection of how this data is generated. Now, when you look at more aggregated things, this, these numbers are always aggregated to, to fit into either E, S, or G, or some, something else. And that in itself raises a lot of issues because this aggregation, it's a, I think it's a trade-off between precision and dimensionality. So you kind of reduce the precision of your data set to have something that has a, that has a lower dimensionality and it is easier to, to use ultimately, but you get an information that is summarized into a, a single number. So that creates a lot of comparability issue because within the same methodologies, you may not have things that are easily comparable. If you take two different variables, you can have a, you can score on zero on one, but 10 on the other, that gives you an average of five, or you can score five on both of them and that gives you five as well. So in both cases, you have a score of five, but it is not the same five, if you see what I mean. And uh, this is a, this is a, obviously a problem from transparency uh, reasons. Now behind this, there is also a, I think an incorrect belief that sustainability is a kind of monolithic thing, but that could not be further from from uh, from the truth because you have many dimensions at play and uh, and many ways to look at at the problem. On the financial side, I think it's something that has already been debunked and uh, we've been dealing with this kind of data for much longer, so it's more prominent in the collective uh, imagination because if you if you take the, the financial statements of a company and you want to summarize that into a single number it would be like summarizing the entire balance sheet of a company into a single score that would be something completely mad you know it's like i mean you, you know exactly what i'm talking about <laughs> absolutely so what you are referring here is the context or the scope is much more important when we are dealing to these types of it, right understanding Yes, well, there is there is a question of the scope of models, and there is also the definition of uh, the scope of the underlying variables. I think we will touch touch base on the scope of variables later, but then from a, a scoring perspective, you indeed need to define the scope when you create an ESG model or a sustainability model. Now, is there a right way to to do this? I don't think so, because defining the scope it's uh, it's essentially about your belief and conviction as a, as an investor or as the user of the data, because defining that that scope, it's basically uh, coming up with a list of issues that you want to capture and what do you want to to uh, what do you want to track with you with your models. So one one thing that you also need to keep in mind it's probably the idea of materiality as well, because not all issues have the same materialities in in all sectors so when you design your model it's probably something you you want to keep in mind as well but it's it's more about what kind of characteristics do you want to to promote for the companies you want in your portfolio in the end right right and when we are talking about it uh, how does uh, picking the source of the ESG data also matters? Well, I, would, I think that the most important question when you, you pick a, a data source in the sustainability space would be to ask yourself, do I believe in this methodology or do I think that, that this methodology is correct and uh, fair? Because you should always make efforts to, to ensure that the data that you have actually measures what it is supposed to. It's also one argument that has been held against uh, aggregated scores that when you look at some companies, they may have a high score in, on the environment, for example, on the environmental 
pillar. But then when you look at their performance on things like uh, carbon intensity, then the, the performance is, is uh, pretty bad. So you, sh you should always make sure that the data measures what it is supposed to measure. And, and by doing that, you should also keep in mind that behind the data, there is always a process that generates the data. And you should always question this process. You should not take anything for uh, for granted, because these these uh, th these processes that generate the data they can be subject to to hidden biases, or they may not entirely be uh, be, be, be uh, reliable. So the question you need to ask yourself is: Can I can I trust it? Is it a number that I can get behind with confidence? Because at the end of the day, it's what is going to to drive most of of the the things that you do. Right. So. One 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 thing that is also important in that space is that more in is not always better because we live in the age of uh, artificial intelligence and big data and, and all of these things. But more data is not always synonym with better quality. I would rather have two or three data points that are extremely high quality and very relevant, and I know I know exactly how they are created and what what they represent. I would rather have that than just 50 or 100 data points that are very sparse and I only cover two or three companies here and there, but I don't exactly know what the data is about or where it's coming from. So more is not always better. Always question the, the, the processes that generated this data. Always uh, always be skeptical about, about things, I would say, sure. is the most important thing to do. Great. So what do you see that a data point lacks? Uh, the when you are kind of moving away from more data. So when you mention high quality data points, so if, if in the standard or in general format, what do you think currently it lacks? Well, so it, there there are many problems with ESG data. So it's it's more a question of how many hours do you have to talk about this. <laughs> so, yeah, you know one one thing about sustainability sustainability uh, data in general it, is that it's very much driven by uh, the technological progress that we have made in the recent years because a lot of these data points they are nothing new they have been in existence for many many years or many many decades but it is just fairly recently that we have uh, gained the technological capabilities to collect this data at at scale and in a meaningful way. So that would create problems with uh, historical avail availability. That would be a, a challenge. It is, in my experience, very uncommon <laughs> to find uh, data points that have more than 10 years of history, maybe. Right. And uh, in most cases, most vendors that you will come across, they only have a few years of reliable and comparable data available. So the depth of history is a huge a problem when when you want to uh, to create models, and you also have uh, problems in the cross section because uh, so the cross sectional coverage might be problematic for two different reasons. You may have uh, companies that do not disclose that information or for which they have, the information is, is uh, not available. So what do you do when the data is missing? It's not something that we are used to on the financial side because every listed company they have reporting requirements. So it's it's not. Uh, it doesn't happen that a listing company does that. That a listed company, sorry, does not report revenues or margins or anything like this. But on the sustainability space, unfortunately, it's more often the, the norm than uh, than than the exception. And so that's one of the problems you can have in in, in the cross section. Then uh, the second problem you can have in the cross section is that the data points that you get might be of a pretty low quality. So most of the data points that you will get, they are reported by the companies themselves. Right. And that raises many, many problems. So 
the methodologies that companies use to create this data can change through time. And that's what I was saying when I say you always need to question the process behind the generation of this data. Because one of the things that I have seen, for example, is a company that would that would uh, disclose carbon emissions and the carbon emission would be the carbon emissions would be uh, some numbers in terms of CO2. And then you look at that uh, the following year and you see that uh, the emissions have increased by a significant margin. So you think, okay, what, what happened there? Is there a, a change in the business or something like this? But no, it's just that the number in the previous year was only about uh, 40% of the company's total activities. So you need to know what the perimeter is about, because if you do not account for that, then in the time series that you have, the numbers are not exactly comparable. So that's a problem in, in time series. Right. In the cross-section, you also have uh, uh, methodologies that might be inconsistent. Like uh, companies might, like one company might measure things in a certain way, but another company might use a different framework or, or use a, a different measurement uh, methodology. And then these two numbers will coexist, but they don't represent exactly the same thing. And yet in uh, in your models, they, uh, they represent the, the same thing. I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but for example, if you want to measure something like employee turnover, mm. some companies will, uh, will look at that through the lens of uh, how many people have left compared to how many people are there at the end of the, time, the reporting period, or they can use... Uh, how the average number of people throughout the reporting period, or they can exclude uh, temps, or they can uh, exclude all of these these sort of things. And these are very much things in th things that you will find in the in, in the fine prints of uh, where, where that information is located. So that that creates a lot of comparability issues. You also have companies that uh, do not report in the same units, and yet data providers right. will get that information. I was talking about carbon emissions before, but. Uh, on things related to water that happens as well, that some companies will report in uh, liters their consumption of water. Some of them will report in cubic meters. And then if you do not account for that and you compare that in the cross-section, you overstate or understate uh, the performance of that company by uh, a factor uh, 1,000 or 1 million sometimes. So it's obviously something pretty problematic. So what do they lack? I would say they, they lack uh, they lack something around auditing because most of these data points are not audited. They are just reported by the companies and you need to take that at face value. On the financial data side, it's not something that would be uh, accepted these days because every item in the balance sheet is audited by a third party that says, I checked that the accounting is correct. And uh, when that's not the case, that always leads to, to pretty significant uh, frauds and, and scandals. But on the sustainability side, we need to have the same processes in place. All of the information that companies will disclose, yeah. ultimately, we need to have that audited by a third party that we put a seal of approval on that and say, this data, I looked at it, it is reliable, and you can use it in, in your model. So what do data points lack? Everything I've said so far, I guess, boils down to a lack of auditing and oversight. But uh, we are slowly getting there. So I don't know, maybe in 10 or 15 years time, it will be uh, more structured, hopefully. Right. And when we are talking about methodology or understanding the methodology, so what would be the right purpose or of a framework for the scoring to work in favor of a good quality data point? Well, I, I don't think there is a unique answer to this question and that echoes a lot of things that, that we've been talking about before but in the sustainability space you know creating a framework it is mostly something that would depend on your belief and convictions as as an investor it's like what do you think is important 
what kind of companies do you want in your portfolio and what characteristics do you want to to promote in your portfolio like when you invest in a company how why do you want them to, to score high on that scale so it's more a question of uh what what kind of characteristics do you want to promote as an investor right um and designing frameworks it's uh it's, it's mostly about designing reporting frameworks to achieve this i think got it got it um so so far whatever we spoke so the the work of a practitioner uh to take correct steps to make a good use of esg rating is already challenging so do you have any recommendation that will make their life a bit easier yes yes, yes. so so from a from a ratings point of view you have when well, most most ratings data sets they have a, they have a fairly similar structure so they start from an, an aggregated rating at the top level, and then the, you can drill down into you know sub ratings and sub sub ratings and, and so forth. So for aggregated ratings, I would say that if you want to make a good use of them, you need to be almost detached from them. So you you need to not think about it as an absolute truth, but more like as an indication of something, because it is not an absolute truth. And that's what I was saying before that, you know, you take two variables, one of them is zero, one is 10, the average is five. You know, you don't always get that kind of transparency when you look at things in, in a, an aggregated level. So, and and uh, in, in most cases, you know, a rating, it depends on the model that created that rating. And when you, when uh, the providers uh, built these models, they built in a lot of assumptions and you can disagree with these assumptions. So again, on the financial side, it's something that we are quite used to because you, on the sales side, you always have analysts that would publish buy and sell recommendations and you have people that will agree or disagree with them. And, uh, and, and this is kind of what, what moves the prices on the market. But on the sustainability side, I don't, I don't think it should be any different. So you always have providers that will provide different ratings, but then none of these ratings are true or false in, uh, in, in aggregate. They just uh, measure different things. So for aggregated numbers, you should just not think too much about them. And if you want to make the best use of the data, I would say go uh, deep and go specific. So look at things in a more granular uh, fashion. So instead of looking at the aggregated ESG score from one provider, look at you know, the rating on the carbon performance, look at the rating on the employee performance or something, something like this. Go very, very specific because the more specific you go, the less likely it is that uh, the data suffers from all of these comparability issues. And this is this is where the useful insights would be coming from anyway. So, right. So, are you, are, yeah. So, are you recommending to all these uh, rating provider not to, like, along with the overall aggregated score or a company's score or ESG score for that matter, uh, give access to uh, not the maybe the underlying complete raw data or whatever, but the methodology and different thematic scores or theme scores or subsection scores or more granular scores that build it up towards the main score? Well, this is a very good question. And uh, it's it's actually something that has been happening in the past couple of years because you had all of these ratings providers that were providing all of these scores, and then the practitioners got increasingly frustrated with everything that we've been talking about so far. So most of these providers they made the methodology an open source document, so they basically uh, published a PDF document on their website and said this is how we aggregate stuff. But to me, I don't think that solved any of the issues because all of these, you know, all of these data providers they do they do the data collection on their side, 
and then the and then they apply their models on top of that and this is what their ip is pretty much so i don't think it solves much much of the problem because it's not very useful to know how a company like msci or iss aggregates data i care more about what the, the underlying data is right. so instead of you know instead of telling me what uh for we were talking about employee turnover before instead of telling me what uh, your rating on the employee turnover is, just give me the actual employee turnover as a percentage. This would be much more useful for, uh, for, for practitioners. Right. Got it. Got it. And so what will be the standardization uh, of all this rating means to everyone, like picking on that particular point itself? If everyone comes up to a certain standardization or say measurement of unit, what would mean for everyone? Yeah, well, a few years ago, well, basically when I started working in this industry, I was convinced that you would see a convergence of ratings eventually if you were to wait a long enough time because it's it's something that you saw on the on the credit side for example you have credit ratings and people always tend to you know compare the, the two things and the correlation between credit ratings is above 95% so you have a pretty high degree of agreement be, uh, between the entities who would do these ratings but when you look at sustainability ratings, the correlation is more like 40%, 50% at best. And it's just a question of you know, proof of success because on the credit side, there is a very clear proof of what uh, success looks like. Right. Or in that case, that would be the absence of success because is it, uh, did, 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 did this company default on, on, on that? But on the sustainability side, the proof of success is much more complicated to, to uh, define. So the more it goes, the less I am convinced that this convergence of ratings will eventually happen or that it is even something that we should hope for because this uh, th this diversity of opinions sort of this is kind of what makes this industry uh, uh, great if you, if you see what I mean because as I mentioned before you have different ratings that would come from different models and each model will have some assumptions built in and that may or may not be consistent with different models but taken individually none of these models are right or wrong they just look at things in a in, in a different way and aggregate them in a different way so pushing for agreements between the ratings that's almost beyond the point because what the industry would need at the moment is more a push towards an agreement on what is relevant and what we should be measured and how we should solve that problem what the problem has been measured and if we achieve an agreement on this then mechanically there will be an, uh, an agreement on, on the scores as well, coming at a later stage. So since it is a pretty vast uh, topic, the sustainability, I don't think it's realistic to expect a convergence of ratings because you have way too many dimensions to, to consider. But I think it's pretty realistic to expect a convergence on more specific things and uh, granular things. Right. And I, I think we can achieve that pretty pretty soon as more data becomes available. Sure. Is there anything from the practitioner side they can do to collaborate and make it a bit more easier? Well, yes, I, I think so, because there has also been a lot of collaboration in, in, the, in the previous years. So in the short term, you know, the reporting requirements for investee companies, they will probably remain fairly low because you know there is legislation that is being uh, drafted in different parts of, of the world to to take care of this but in the short term it's probably not going to to lead to anything tangible so for uh, for investors i think one uh, collaboration avenue would be to exert more pressures on companies to disclose more data because this is a pain point at the moment that companies do not disclose enough information or that the information that they disclose is not in line with what investors would want to see 
from a, from a practitioner perspective. So in the short term, I would say the biggest avenue is probably you know do do more things like investor initiatives to push more for more disclosures. You know, exert the pressure from from the investment side if this data if this uh, pressure does not come from the uh, the regulation side. Now, in parallel, there is also a need for more collaboration on setting what those reporting expectations might be, because there is also a tendency for companies to, you know, only disclose the numbers on which they will look good, because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to put in, in your ESG report a number that will make you look, look bad. But uh, this is not this is not something acceptable from a, from a user perspective. So so yeah, I would say in the short term, you know, more collaboration for more pressure and collaborations for setting what the reporting standard is like. Now, in in the more middle to long term, there would be uh, also a need for for more collaboration on what uh, broader frameworks might be. So the TCFD has, is is a good example of that because the TCFD has has done that pretty well. You know, setting what the expectation might be on on the climate side. And now these days, uh, TCFD is pretty much, uh, you know, uh, something very uh, established in the industry. And, uh, you know, TNFD is taking the lead also as well on the biodiversity side. So all of these collaboration initiatives, they, they really are fundamental to define what the industry needs to look at. And there is definitely a need for more of these things, because it is with this kind of collaboration that you will bring order in, uh, in, in the industry. Right. If that um, makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are... Uh almost at the end of uh, the episode and last couple of questions that I have uh, as a follow-up question. So one of the things that you have mentioned about uh, the recent technology has uh, given an opportunity to collect uh, past few, few years of data. So that brings me to how important it is uh, to do a back testing for sustainability factor before you recommend strategy. Yes, well, that's a very good question as well, because when I am a quant person, so I mostly work with other quants, and whenever you you, uh, you show some data to quants, then the immediate question is, how does that perform historically? Is that a factor? Well, I, I think in the sustainability space, it's uh, it's well, it's obviously pretty important to to come up with a backtest when you want to present things for your client because you don't want to come up with a strategy and put that in front of your client if historically that has been performing very, very poorly. But I think it's a bit of a misunderstanding of, of the point when it comes to sustainability uh, issues, because not all sustainability data points are meant to be thought of as you would think about a factor. So, for example, if you take something like the employee structure, you know, we, we, we were talking before about, you know, things like uh, gender parity or employee diversity or things like this. You, you, could, you could think that uh, a company that has a very high employee turnover they will use most of their resources to to replace the employees that are leaving. So there will be fewer resources geared toward you know growing the business or making more revenues or things like this. So you could expect that companies that have a high level of employee turnovers don't perform as well as companies that have low turnover. And this is uh, there is actually I think some research on this. I did some research on this in in a, in a previous life. And what I am describing it's a textbook definition of a factor because you can measure this right now, but if you could measure this uh, 50 years ago, there is no reason to think that it would not have been the case at the time. There is an economic rationale behind this being a factor. And you can think about this through the lens of a backtest as well. But then if you look at something, uh, something like climate change, for example, there is no historical data on climate change. It has never happened in recorded history before. It will take decades to materialize. And once it's there, it will probably... Uh, not ever happen again. So 
in that case, the idea of a backtest doesn't really apply because it's not so much a question of what the historical performance is. It's more a question of the expectation that there is a future uh, risk that you want to be hedged against. And it's more about how do you want to be positioned now when that risk materializes. So the question of backtest, I would say, depends a lot on uh, on what you are actually looking at. And uh, that, that, that also echoes a lot of the things that we've been talking about, that you need to have a high degree of specificity in, in what you look at because uh, this is uh, yeah this is this is pretty much the same thing. Got it, got it. And uh, you also mentioned about this. Uh, what about greenwashing? How can investors use the data to protect them? Yes, well, there is a lot of accusations on of uh, greenwashings for financial institutions specifically. So investors that would invest in companies and then be called out because some of the companies that would make it in the portfolios are not exactly uh, environmentally friendly or, or something like this. I think I think we need to have a more data-driven approach when we approach the, the question of sustainability because you know we rely a lot on ratings, but the ratings are essentially opinions, and the opinions can be biased or suffer from a lot of you know things like partisanship or, or, or things like this. But you know, with a heavier use of data, you will get a clearer picture of what actually happens in real life and what the companies are doing. You will have more transparency on this. And you also need to, you know, question what the company say. And that's what I was also saying before, that you need to question processes because companies that can disclose the data, they can tweak their methodologies to make it look more green or to, 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 to uh, make, make themselves look better. So you need to be critical with the data that, 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 that you have. So I would say you can protect yourself by uh, having a more transparent approach and use more data, basically, okay. because this... Uh, you know, if you only use uh, if you only use quantitative metrics to uh, to to to, uh, to drive your investment decisions, then you are kind of protected from uh, greenwashing because there is a very quantitative reason for every company in your portfolio to be there in the first place. Right, absolutely, and there's also a flip side to it. One of my previous guests has mentioned, which kind of made me, especially for the new ESNG. So, what investors, some of the investors are trying to do is. They are picking company in different mix of bags. So they'll pick one company good at E, good company good at S, and good some company good at G. And when you plot it in some kind of a star or a, a radio, radar matrix, it looks like it encompasses everything. But in reality, the same example, like the average of 10 and 0 is also applied on the flip side. So exactly. Exactly. When I was I was browsing LinkedIn a, a couple of weeks ago, and I saw a pretty funny, uh, pretty funny uh, uh, illustration. And the illustration was basically the CEO of a company. So you know, it was like a like a drawing uh, yeah, thing. And comic. It was a CEO, exactly a comic. And it was a CEO of a company saying, "Oh, we have increased our carbon emissions by twenty uh, percent. This will decrease our ratings." And then you had one of the advisors that was saying, "Yes, but we can offset that by adding one more woman to the board." <laughs> and obviously, this is this is completely stupid because uh, right. well, that's the textbook uh, uh, greenwashing from a scoring perspective. So Absolutely. that's why you need to be more specific in the data that you look at. So instead of looking at an aggregated rating, look right. at the board performance rating or look at the carbon rating or something uh, something more specific. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, so my last question to you is, uh, how do you think uh, the sustainability space will evolve in the next five to 10 years? So from a data perspective, I, I think we will see a shift from uh, general ratings data sets being used towards more specialist data sets. 
because these days, you know, we use a lot of of these uh, ratings. But I think in the futures, we in the future we will use more specialist data sets because you can make a distinction between different data sets that are quite uh, generic in their shape, so like uh, uh, ratings created by models or analysts or the, these sort of things, and that that's typically always a collection of scores. And then on the other side, you have the specialist uh, data sets, and they don't provide the, whole, the, the full picture, but they measure very precisely something very targeted and something very very precise. And I think you will see a shift from uh, investors using these general purpose data sets and they will stop probably using them right. to focus more on specialist data sets because this is where the insights are coming from ultimately so that would be from a from a data perspective because you see that that investors they get more and more frustrated with ratings data sets anyway so this uh, this transition has already been happening i would say for a solid two years approximately but then in terms of the industry structure, I think you will see a lot of consolidation because it's already a space that is quite dynamic in terms of M&A. So you will probably see a lot of larger players uh, acquiring the smaller players. So it's most likely that, you know, the uh, the startups that are focusing on creating these specialist data sets, they will end up being acquired by larger players. And then the data offering will expand as a, as a, as a result. Now, in terms of uh, a content, I think you will see more and more uh, things done on the topic of impact investing, because this is probably the next frontier. And as an industry, this is probably the next thing that we need to, to uh, tackle. Right. That has been great. Uh, where can people find you more about you online? Uh, well, if, if I can send you the link to my LinkedIn profile, if uh, that's useful. Sure, sure. Perfect. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for having me. It was great. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you have found this conversation useful, please join me again next time for Sustainability Scores.